Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, and joining me, of course, is the potty-mouthed prince of Peking pun man behind Danway.com, <laughs> oh, no. Mr. Oh, no. Jeremy oh, no. Goldberg. How are you, man? Oh, no. I'm really bad after hearing that. <laughs> what, when you're not the po- potty-mouthed prince of Peking punditry? <laughs> Uh, well, Which part do you object to? <laughs> Let's move swiftly along. Let's move Good swiftly along. So I, I do want to um, congratulate. I have a couple of congratulations to toss out. One is to David Wertheim and Rachel Liu and all the other good folks behind the excellent Tea Leaf Nation for their acquisition by the FP Group. Jeremy, they, they were actually Dan Wei's model worker for the year, right? They were indeed. Okay, excellent. Uh, I also what was your commission on the deal? Let's not go I, I also want to congratulate Hudson Lockett, who's been our intern here at Seneca for more than 18 months. Uh, he just got the news that he's been accepted to the IUP program uh, at Tsinghua University, which all of you know is the Cadillac of Chinese language programs and has produced many a fine speaker of the language. Nice job, Hudson, including Bill yes. over here, who we Bill will Taiwan. introduce shortly. Right. Um, so the, it's jumping right in now. Uh, as the trial of Bo Xilai wound up a couple of weeks ago, the Central Discipline and Inspection Commission announced that two former uh, CNPC officials, that is China National Petroleum Corporation officials, were under investigation for severe discipline violations, which of course is a euphemism for corruption. Then a couple of days later, we learned that Jiang Jianmin, who was also currently under investi- uh, was was also currently under investigation, and Jiang is uh, a Central Committee member. Uh, he headed. SESAC, the body which oversees state-owned enterprises in China, and was also a former head of CNPC. So if Jiang Jianmin wasn't a big enough fish, there have also been a number of reports suggesting, I su- suppose to the surprise of very few China watchers, that the, the real target here is Zhou Yongkang, uh, with some media outlets, including the South China Morning Post, saying that Zhou is already under investigation. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about um, what one of our guests has dubbed the petroleum purges and what they mean. Uh, is this a political purge aimed ultimately at undermining the support base of supposed Boa allies like Zhou Yongkong, or is this merely a part of Xi Jinping's anti-corruption campaign? What does this tell us about Xi Jinping's consolidation of power, and what might it reveal to us more broadly about the exercise of power in China today, um, about the factions, about the influence of interest groups and their bases of power within major industries. Uh, with us to discuss this are two people who've been following this closely. We're delighted to welcome back IUP alum, Bill Bishop, who has deservedly been called the China Watcher's China Watcher. Bill writes the invaluable Sinicism newsletter and writes a weekly column for the New York Times deal book. Great to see you, Bill. Good thanks, to have you back. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while, man. Uh, about three months. Oh, wow. Well, so it's good that you actually keep track of your, your recent appearances. We're also delighted to have back in the studio with us Jeremy Page, who is point man on elite politics for the Wall Street Journal's bureau here in Beijing. Jeremy, great to have you with us, and thanks for making the time. Thank you for having me back. Um, so let's introduce this cast of characters for some of our listeners who might not be completely familiar uh, with them. I, I suppose let's start with Zhou Yongkong. Uh, who's China's former securities are? Um, what do we really know about him and his uh, supposed factional ties to Bo Xilai? Bill, why don't you give that a, a crack instead of? I shall let Jeremy do first. <laughs> okay, you know what he's doing? He's, he's he's taking pictures in here, like he's going to upload them to fucking Weibo or something. I I, I know he's, he's such a social media whore. 
Okay, Jeremy, take a crack. Well, Tell us about Joe Young Kong. While the social media bimbo over there is uploading his photo of the Seneca podcast to, to Instagram, let's, let's talk about Joe Young Kong. Well, you know, as with so much that goes on in, in elite Chinese politics, you know, very little is, is provable uh, on this question. But um, from many of the strands of reporting that came out of the Borsilai crisis, it's clear that uh, Borsilai had very close ties to, to Joe Young Kong who, of course, uh, was a member of the Politburo Standing Committee, the top nine, um, until his retirement in November last year, and uh, arguably had you know, one of the most powerful positions on that Standing Committee because he was head of the um, Politics and Law Commission, which oversaw uh, the judiciary, the police, and the intelligence services. And uh, we've heard from a, a lot of sources within the party that, that um, uh, Borchelet did not just have close links to Joan Kang, but actually aspired to take his seat on the standing committee after, uh. after Joe retired. And that was one of the things that uh, alarmed some other members of the, of the party leadership, was the prospect of Borsilai, this very char- charismatic, um, politically uh, successful uh, politician, uh, taking over this position which controlled the police and the, uh, and the intelligence services. Uh, that would have been a very uh, strong power base from which to operate in, in the top leadership and potentially to, to pose a threat to the authority of Xi Jinping and, and Li Keqiang. Do we, do we have this on anything more than just sort of rumor, hearsay, or, or is there, like you said, you know, evidence is, is difficult to produce, but what what are we basing our, our supposition that, that there was any kind of plan for a, a takeover of his actual uh, you know, power base? Yeah. As, as ever, there's nothing, on, there's nothing on paper, there's nothing you can ever prove, even if you had a, you know, access to a couple of central committee members, um, which very few foreign reporters <laughs> don't do, you know, you wouldn't be able to meet you know, many other central, central committee members who could tell you, you know, maybe something different, and there's, you know, there's over 300 of them. So, uh, you know, we can never know this for sure, but uh, you know, those of us who spend our time trying to get access as close as possible to the decision-making process. That's what. That's a consistent message that has come uh, through. You know, people who maybe themselves have access to central committee members, or, right. who, or have been party to some of the discussions that have been going on. I guess I've never heard a dissenting opinion. I've never heard anyone say, "No, no, the two of them don't really like each other and have, have no no connection whatsoever." Bill, uh, it's been a, a while now since um, what happened last May. Um, um, do we have? Anything more about what happened in, in the period immediately after the arrest of Bosilai, uh, or um, uh, you know, when there were rumors of, of Zhou Yong Kong's involvement in, in some nasty power struggle, and even you know there were whispers of coup and, and, and such. Um, I mean, of course, t- now is a very sensitive time to be talking about rumors, and so of course I'm not. Well, there are a lot of great new rumors the last couple of weeks. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's sort of maybe they just never go away, but there's a whole new wave of rumors going around, um, spurred, I think, in part because of this stuff. But, uh, well, last, was it, when was the, when was the Lingu car crash? Was it April or late March? Yeah, right? it was in March. It happened in March. March. Yeah. It sort of came out, well, the decision to, to remove Lin Jihua was September. Right. So, so that, this was the, the Ferrari that crashed on the fourth ring road that, that, it turned out that it killed the son of, um, one of, uh, Hu Jintao's most trusted, uh, sort of, AIDS, right? AIDS, and um, there's big, apparently a big cover-up, and then there's reports that, that Zhou Yong Kong was involved in that cover-up as well, right? You reported that, didn't you? We didn't report on Zhou Yong Kong's involvement, and I was obviously not aware of a lot of the rumors, right. but, but um, I don't want to repeat them here or anywhere else, but um, 
but yeah, you know, there are lots of, of theories. What we reported on that was that, uh, you know, that, that it did obviously happen, that there was an attempted cover-up, um, and that it was extremely damaging to, uh, to the entire sort of Hujintao camp. Um, but yes, there, there, there were sort of uh, suggestions, inconsistent suggestions, that there was the involvement of people, individuals in Jiro Kamsa. Right, and, and one of one, which was repeated, I think, quite he- reported quite heavily in the Hong Kong media, obviously take with a grain of salt, mm-hmm. was that the uh, Jiang Jiamin, who, who you mentioned in the introduction, um, when he was running Petrochina, he was actually, I think one of the rumors going around is that he was, or I mean, that the South China Morning Post might have even reported this, or, or sort of reported on the rumor that he had authorized hush money payments to sort of cover up this crash. Okay. And and so that, so you know, and when, when, the one thing is when the, when the Jiang Jiamin, the news of his uh, investigation first broke, uh, Tsai Xin had a very interesting article where when they talked about what was going on, they said it was uncovered during an audit and it was related to, in part, things that had been reported on in the foreign press and were in the rumor and had been rumored. So Saishin was actually about. able to report this, this, this. They didn't make any mention of the crash, but it was a very clear implication of what they were talking that about. That there was hush money paid and that it was. It was very clear that there was, a, there was an audit. The audit discovered some financial impropriety related to something that people have been talking about in the foreign media <laughs> elsewhere. But can, can we bring so. it back to the alleged uh, investigation of corruption that is, is, is supposed to be going on of, of basically the petrochemical industry? Um, I mean, is it just a revenge against Bo Xilai and Zhou Kang and their allies? Or is, you know, what else is going on? Because, I mean, obviously there's going to be a lot of corruption in the petrochemical industry because, duh, it's China and it's, it's right. petrochemicals. So, so, yeah, put it another way, so, is it, was it a political purge? Is or it completely is a political purge? Uh, how, how, how much should we be talking about Bo Xilai and, and, and elites political faction fighting and how much should we t- be talking about a, a real anti-corruption campaign or is it both is it sort of a two birds with one stone kind aren't of they usually both yeah I well think it's both explain the added <laughs> the added element of wanting uh to to prepare the ground for pushing through some kind of reforms but we'll we'll only be able to tell you know in a few months time whether those kind of reforms are sufficient to really uh, destroy the kind of uh, or break down the, the sort of interest groups that exist within the oil industry, uh, the problems that, that that perhaps were caused by this network of people uh, led by by Joyong Kang who've dominated the oil industry for so long. It's one thing to remove them; that solves your problems maybe politically. Um, but if you don't push through, then the systemic reforms, uh, you're just they're either going to you know, that that interest group will just regenerate itself, or a new one will take its place. Okay, I, I worry that we're a little bit in the weeds right now because you know we're talking about uh, CNPC, we're talking about PetroChina, we're talking about let, let's 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 explain. Maybe Bill can do a quick explainer on the relationship between these these you know uh, enormous companies. Of course, people are familiar with Sinopec and and CNOC, uh, CNOOC. What's the relationship between and among these and who was in, in charge of, of what? Well, until, was it less than 20 years ago when, when Sinopec and PetroChina, which are the two, two major um, petrochemical companies, weren't they actually one company until, I think, the mid-'90s, and they were split off? Sort of, uh, around the same time that China Mobile and Unicom were, were yeah, sort of broken sort of, up. Yeah, sort, right? sort of around the, the SME reforms. Right. And um, so they effectively dominate the petrochemical industry in China. So they're incredibly wealthy and incredibly powerful companies that have played, you know, also play a a not insignificant role in China's foreign policy because... Yeah, we'll get to that. I've got a bunch of questions related to that Um, on foreign policy. But one thing to your earlier question about sort of is this politics or is this about corruption, 
I don't think we can ignore the timing of this round of um, sort of the, the, the uh, announcement, the official announcements of these investigations. Because the first one came down, I think it was, was either Sunday, it was either the day before the day or of, the day Monday of, the last day of Barcelona's tri trial. Right. And then, and he was, uh, was it Wang Yongchun, I think, was the first one. And yeah. then you had four or three or four more the next day. And then you had Xi Jinping go to Dalian, where, which was one of Barcelona's power bases. And then he goes and gets in the aircraft carrier. So I don't think it's a coincidence that we look at this kind of symbolism as sort of the message that he was sending. Because, <coughs> you know, here you have what everyone knows is the power base for this, this Zhou Yun column. That's right. And the trial's over. Right. Guess Oil who, guess who, and, guess and, and, and dollars. Charge. Right. Who's, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's, that's one of the big questions we have, right, right, right Jeremy? Um, what does this really say about the consolidation of, of Xi Jinping's power at this point? Uh, is this, let's is let's, this, let's ask the other Jeremy, right, Jeremy Page, right. to, to answer that question. Well, I think this sends a very powerful, powerful message um, to various constituencies. Uh, it's obviously connected to the Borsulai trial, as we already did discussed. Um, but I think uh, it, the main target is this network that has existed in the, in the oil industry and in Chinese politics for many, many years, um, you know, going right back to the, the discovery of, of Daqing oil field in, in, in 1959. There's been this sort of intersection between the oil industry and elite politics and the military, in fact, one of the... Uh, sort of that, that, that sort of uh, unholy alliance exists nowhere else in the world. <laughs> There's no countries yeah, where oil, military, and it's political power... Invade it's countries for oil. it's right. particularly acute here, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, these, uh, in the early days, uh, the, most of the oil was in areas controlled by the military. It was in these very remote parts of Xinjiang on the northeast. And uh, so that was one. And the other was that uh, China was strategically vulnerable in 1950s in, in particular 50s, sure. because it was so dependent on the <coughs> Soviet Union for all of, all of its um, petroleum products. And that was a great source of concern, especially after uh, Khrushchev's secret speech and the Sino-Soviet split. Uh, so uh, the, the, the people who really spearhead, spearheaded um, the development of Daqing oil field became national heroes. And you know, one of the key figures in that was uh, Yu Chu-li, who was held up as a, as a great hero, uh, I think in 1963 or 64, uh, and then Daqing itself was held up as this great model for all of China's industry. Mm -hmm. And Yu Chu-li went on to become vice premier, but uh, it's interesting, he also, uh, at other times in his career, served in the military. He was head of the political department of, of the PLA. Uh, and then he, uh, he chose as his sort of protege uh, uh, in 1979, he, he appointed Zheng Jinghong as his, uh, as his personal secretary. Um, Zheng Jinghong was, was a Politburo Standing Committee member during the, the 17th um, Standing Committee. That's right, that's right. So Zheng Jinghong then goes on to become a member of the Standing Committee, having held various other positions uh, in the oil industry. And, uh, and then he, in turn, uh, chooses uh, Zhou Yong Kang, uh, perhaps not as his only protege, but he certainly helps to sort of nurture his career mm -hmm. um, all the way to the very top. Um, so this really has a kind of direct pedigree, all the way, like you say. Right? It does. Back I don't want to exaggerate that. This is the, to, to make this sound like this is a really sort of formal sort of group of group of people, whether like a sort of dynastic process. But there is a very clear sort of interest group which uh, goes from one generation to the next, and and in order to protect their own interests. You know, it's partly ba just based on, on the personal relationships that they've formed, um, but also protecting their own uh, private interests and their, and their political power. 
um, they want to make sure that the person who takes over from them is a, is a trusted uh, a trusted figure. And so Zhou Yongkang was the last person in that in that sort of oil dynasty. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jeremy, um, how would you compare this with, uh, for example, the electric electricity industry? The you know which Li is Pong. Li Pang, the Li Pang, uh, Li Pang clique is generally. I think it's very it's very similar, and that's why it's so interesting because this is a problem that is replicated throughout state industry. But I do think it's particularly acute in the oil industry. I mean, you know, PetroChina is what you know became the world's largest company by, by momentarily. And so on. It's the world's biggest oil oil producer now. Um, so if you're going to send a message to uh, Chinese state industry, what more powerful a target? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in some ways, it, it, you know, it reminds me a bit of uh, the, the the Kremlin's campaign against Mikhail Khodorkovsky and Yukos, Yukos, right, Russia, exactly, which I, which I covered at the time. Okay, he was a private businessman; it was a private company, but the political rationale for taking it on was that the Kremlin wanted to. Uh, take back control of the of the oil industry as a source of wealth and as a, a tool of foreign policy. And one of the things that concerned the most about UCOS was that it was starting to build, had plans to build a private pipeline to China. And pipeline politics are, you know, the, the, the foundation of China of Russia's foreign policy. Mm-hmm. So I think um, you know there, there there had been growing concern about uh, about the influence that these this oil network had. Um, and uh, you can see, you know, there've been obstacles to reform. At various points in the process, when Bill mentioned the uh, you know the creation of PetroChina and Sinopec back in the late the late 1990s, at the time there were discussions on the table. I remember I, I was here back then. There were discussions about you know creating more companies uh, than that um, uh, to try and encourage more competition. That got blocked. Uh, you then had the the West East uh, um, gas pipeline project, which mm-hmm. was you know originally involved Exxon and Shell and Gazprom. It was supposed to be this great example of foreign cooperation, in the end, 2004, PetroChina takes over the whole thing, um, supposedly against the will of, of, of top leaders. Interesting, Jiang Jianmin was, was, at the time of his removal, uh, the head of SESAC. Bill, maybe you could, you could explain what the, I, I mean, I can never ke- keep this, this acronym straight, it, it's the State-Owned Assets Supervision a- a- Administration Commission, or Committee, Commission? Commission. Commission, right. And it oversees the, the top central state-owned enterprises. Okay, so what what, what falls under its bailiwick then? So uh, obviously, oil. How many are there extractive. under this You know, is it a couple hundred or is it? It's something, you know, something the top big, flight yeah, SOEs, big, big SOEs. central SOEs, SOEs, the Yangtze. So it's really the fox guarding the hen house oh. in this case, right? I mean, because Jiang Tianmin. But again, what was interesting, what 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 I think um, uh, was was noted at the time by some some folks I know in Beijing who are very sensitive to these things is when Jiang Tianmin was made head of it. Um, he was not made the party secretary, which was not, which was, which was different, which was uh, a sh- change Abnormal. from his predecessor. And so that was seen by some as, okay, because he, there have been rumors that he'd been on, you know, he disappeared last, I think it was last August, mm. right? He was sort of, you know, he was sick or he wasn't sick, but he was out of touch for a period of time. So that sparked a round of rumors. Then he came back, he got on the Central Committee of the 18th Party Congress, but when he got this appointment at the, at the, 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 the National People's Congress in March, he didn't get the full the full boat. He only right. got the the sort of the chairman, not and they put in Zhang Yi as the party secretary. Right, they divided up the uh, one uh, of the one of the quirks of the, of the Chinese system is that that, that Sasak is is less powerful than many of the uh, companies that they that ever received. And DRC. Yeah. So this is also sort of a you move him up, but you're it's sort of a promotion demotion kind of thing where he was Beijing right? Right. So and, 
Good. Good Sorry, job. I was just going to say, so I don't think, when I said this, you know, it sends a strong message to state industry. I don't think it's it, it's sending a strong message you know, to SASAC in, in particular. No, it's, it's, you know, you've got to get it because SASAC's not, not really the problem. No one's afraid of SASAC, yeah, right. exactly. basically. So um, it's, it's really still all about the oil industry. It's CNBC. Just going back to your question about Li Peng and the power industry, yes, the problems do exist. Similar problems do exist elsewhere in state industry. But the oil industry is, uh, is these problems are particularly acute, I think, because the network is, is strengthened by the fact that a lot of these people come out of the petroleum institutes. There are sort of three or four of them, particularly the, uh, uh, the Beijing Institute of Petroleum, I think it's called, the main one in Beijing, which Zhou Kong himself came from. And uh, that sort of alumni network is supposed to be is particularly strong. They come from the same sort of technical background. Plus, there's also uh, that much more money in the in, in the um, in the industry, and they have uh, the added advantage of being much more exposed to the international market. So, especially over the last decade, oil executives who have been making these deals overseas uh, in in Latin America and Africa. Um, have risen up faster through the ranks of the party apparatus uh, because they are deemed to have a greater understanding of the international market. I see. And then that, that again brings us to the foreign policy dimension of it, which we will save for just... Uh, but there are a couple of other things I just want to make sure that we, we, we get out um, just for the sake of our listeners who might not follow this. Again, this is... Uh, it can be pretty inside baseball, but... Um, what do we know about what charges Jiang Jinmin is being brought up on? I mean, is does this have to do with the, what? what uh, do you suspect, Bill, that this is about what Tyson no was talking about? I mean, uh, there's all there is a speculation. Okay. And rumors. You know, Beijing rumor mill is back on overdrive. Right. Um, but Interestingly, I, you know, at, a, at a time when, when there's a, a big clampdown on. It's probably not hard to find problems of any of these, you know, sure. at this level if you really want to find problems. Jeremy, do you have any, any sources or any speculation as to what Jiang Jinmin's real? Okay. He's shaking his head now. <laughs> Sadly, no. It's it's frustratingly well, opaque, of course. Right. One other point, though, about sort of the the benefits of of sort of maybe inflicting some some pain on the the petroleum uh, sector sector yeah, sure. is they've also been seen as as one of the main impediments to uh, dealing with the air pollution problem. So, if you remember during the um, the air apocalypse last January. You know, got on Weibo, got in the Chinese media that one of the one of the biggest issues was the fact that the two the two main refiners, uh, PetroChina and Sinopec, um, you know, the the refining standards are lower um, than sort of the best international standards, and that they're actually not consistent around China, mm-hmm. and that they could actually make a pretty pretty positive uh, change in the air quality if they were to. Uh, upgrade the, their refining systems, but that to, would impact their bottom line. Well, that would cost a lot of money. Right. So, so the, the 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 apparently the reaction was, sure, we'll do it, but who's going to pay? Right. <laughs> right, and that's a people. You know, that's a making progress on air quality is is one of the sort of easy wins from a kind of a people's livelihood perspective. And interestingly enough, and maybe it's completely unrelated. It's an easy win. It, yeah, from, if you can make progress from, in air pollution, it makes the party but look. But can you make progress on air pollution? I mean, yeah, it's not you, you just can absolutely. If you were to, if you were to improve the quality of the, the refined gasoline, it would have a positive impact on air pollution. It wouldn't fix it overnight, but everything. It's one factor, right? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, and this may be completely unrelated, but Sinopec announced that they're they're improving the refining standards. I think by is it by the end of October ahead of schedule. I mean, so the Sinopec's. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. The the, the those Petro. PetroChina is taking the, the brunt of the hit for, in this right now. Sinopec's organization isn't. Is that correct? That's right, so far. Okay. Yeah. Which is very interesting because um, 
some of the senior executives in Sinopec are were considered were considered within the industry to be part of the same sort of network. But at the moment, Sinopec seems to be insulated. Sinoc uh, also seems to be insulated. But then, the, you know, the, the sort of problems that exist in Sinopec and CNPC. Uh, aren't so acute in 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 CNO, CNO, uh, just in for CNO, those is the the China National Offshore Oil Corporation, exactly, right? Partly just because it's offshore, right. so uh, you don't have the same sort of local problems that you. That you and it's a new, it's a much newer. I mean, it was only when was Sinook founded? It was only what more than just over a decade ago, right? It was a kind of a, a new. Uh, exactly. Uh, Plus, yeah. it's had much more exposure to, to doing business with uh, with foreign companies, and right. uh, so it's regarded in the industry as as having fewer of those of, of these of kind, those of, kind of entrenched problems. But, it is, problems but it will be very interesting and certainly in, in the industry a lot of people are looking out in particular to see whether any Sinopec uh, executives are targeted in this campaign as well uh, so Jeremy you had a lead for the piece that you wrote with Brian and, and Wayne Ma from um, the, the journal uh, that starts with Zhou Yong Kong in Khartoum in Sudan with Jiang Jianmin at his side. Uh, this is a reminder, of course, of the influence of the oil clique on foreign policy in some very important and, and very you know sensitive geographic areas for China, including, of course, the Middle East and, and South China Sea. Uh, this is an influence that, that experts that we've had on the show, like Stephanie Klein Albrandt from the Crisis Group, has have have have, have attested to. Um, what impact do you see the weakening of the oil clique power? Uh, having on foreign policy, particularly in these regions, um, I want to ask both of you this. Uh, Bill, why don't you g- give it a, a start? Well, I, I don't. I mean, I would just say that you know China is has or is about to surpass um, the United States as the leading importer of importer of oil in the world. That's because of the shale shale oil, though. Well, it's just there. So that, but whatever the reasons, you know, the the importance of oil is not diminishing just because there's a there's a you know some sort of corruption scandal inside China. So I don't think that, um, you know, it's it's hard to see how this is going to make oil less important in Chinese foreign policy. The players may change, and maybe some of the focus will shift, but it doesn't it doesn't change, it doesn't the, change over, the, the, the overarching the issue China right. has, which is. They're importing a ton of oil, and that it's growing, and they're increasingly relying on oil from places that are um, challenging, as we in the United States have learned over the decades. <laughs> I'd, I'd agree. I, I think um, it was very interesting that as a lot of these investigations were being announced, uh, Xi Jinping was actually in Central Asia, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Turkmenistan, which uh. is one of the places where uh, Joe Kang had also sort of championed right. uh, cooperation in the energy sector, CNPC. Um, <laughs> and he must have found a lot of and people with sympathetic people there. He flipped the switch on a new uh, oil field, right? right. right. Exactly, exactly about one year ago. He was there, he went to the CNPC office, he made his kind of people. he came up with this wonderful uh. quote, he said something like, the, you know, oil remains, in, you know, the, the, these two words, uh, in Chinese it's two characters, but he said, oil remains in the heart of an oil man for his <laughs> whole life. And, uh, oily, oily. So I, I would agree that, you know, obviously Chinese demand for oil uh, from these far-flung corners of the world is not going to decrease. But I think, you know, based on discussions with people in the industry, uh, it could lead to a few changes. And what we've seen over the last decade has been a sort of splurge of spending, like something like $130 billion yeah. since 2002, um, the three oil, oil, Chinese oil companies combined, just going out and buying up these Assets, uh, the, right. these assets. Fields, yeah. And uh, I was talking to a former BP executive the other day, and, and he was saying, you know, when we make, when he used to be in the industry, so when we made these kind of acquisitions, it wasn't just about 
you know, buying the oil field, you were thinking about your capital expenditure over the next sort of 10 or 20 years and how you were going to make it profitable. And you know, he, looking at these numbers, you just can't see how a lot of these deals can work out. So what you might see if they do push, push through some serious reforms is first of all a, a bit more scrutiny of some of these de- future deals that are done, you know, uh, both in terms of the parts of the world where they are, and the terms on which the uh, uh, the deals are signed. But you also might to see uh, some of the uh, these Chinese oil companies shedding some of the assets that were uh, that were bought in this great sort of splurge, which are actually never going to be profitable. Well, that's interesting. That was definitely the knock for a while from a lot of other you know, oil participants was that these, they're overpaying for these assets. And, you know, part of that, I think, is a function of, you know, the, the broader problem in China of, you know, when capital is basically free from the state-owned banks, right, you know. Right. You, no longer adheres to laws And someone to says, you know, strategic even in, you know, strategic in the U.S. is sort of, I'm doing a strategic deal usually is a sign that I'm overpaying. <laughs> so these are all, you know, strategic deals with essentially free credit. Um, one of the things that's very interesting, I think, is that some of the Chinese media has been quite aggressive in reporting on elements of this story and there's definitely a lot of discussion of some of these deals that were not just um, bad deals from sort of a, a economic perspective in terms of the, the future payouts, but actually they were very sketchy deals where, you know, somebody insider would get a deal and buy an asset cheap, and then a year later would mark it up ten times and sell. What, it what to, countries are we talking about? We're talking about Nigeria, Angola. Or, I mean, they're all over the world, but some some of these, yeah, just you know, there's a lot of equipment buying too. There seems like it sounds like there was a fair amount of. Um, Kickbacks going on right. on something. You know, uh, there was also one has to say one of the the more successful sort of Weibo scandals about corruption over the last few years has been I think was it was it um, Sinopec the the receipts uh, for you know million kuai baijiu people spending in Guangzhou just, uh, right was yeah it? outrageous amounts of money on baijiu and and basically. I think it was Sinopec paying, but I mean, there has been a, a stink, a sulfurous stink about the petroleum, <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> petrochemical industry. You also had, uh, I think it was CNPC playing, paying for J-Lo to go and uh, entertain. That's right. Uh, yeah. Turkmenistan, I think. Yeah, Turkmenistan, oh, J-Lo. You, you can't overpay for that. Right. Oh, that did, nothing, that did nothing, get a lot of play in China, Nothing technically though, un- yeah, unlawful there. Right. No. To but, um, but just a, a quick follow-up on, on uh, Kaiser's question about foreign policy. Um, I think what you are also likely to see now is a more sort of centralized process, whereas in the run-up to the 18th Party Congress, uh, there was a lot of discussion about how these new foreign policy actors were starting to affect not just foreign right. policy, but also defense right. defense policy, perhaps, you know, slightly beyond the contr- control of, of sure. the top leaders. Nine dragons sort of stirring the sea the, and that sort of, of thing. Right. Wagging, that seems wagging to all the dog. be getting reined in, doesn't it? Whereas now, I think, that, you know, authority is much more centralized in the hands of Xi Jinping and, and, and the people immediately around him. Not that the foreign ministry, but... they're <laughs> going to be any, you know, any more dovish. They right. might be equally aggressive in, 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 in what they... They seek to achieve, but the point is that you know he's very much the guy in control. Of the, of, of the yeah. So the upshot is rationalization of, of some of the deals. Um, probably uh, no change in in the basic calculus, the basic you know um, calculations that, that that Beijing makes about protecting its oil interests and its ship shipping lanes and so forth. Right. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. but also to Bill's point, you know that one of the other reforms that people are looking for, you know, when you go into particularly these unstable parts of the world where there isn't, the, you know, a, a proper uh, judiciary uh, and there's very little accountability and transparency there, you know, the scope for corruption is enormous. Um, places like Sudan, in particular. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, will there be you know, greater 
transparency in those deals, you know, I, I wouldn't sort of hold... hold, hold and I mean, you certainly, you know, you look at some of the other state-owned, you know, European state-owned, other state-owned oil companies, and they're certainly not advocates of transparency either no. in some of these places, right? So it's, it's a little, it seems like it's a bit endemic to the industry and the, the, the geographies mm -hmm. anyway. T taking it back to the internal politics, what, what is the next shoe we expect to follow? What, what are, are you folks as, as um, close watchers of this uh, expecting to see as the next, uh, the, the inauguration? There's been a bit of a lull in the last week. What's going to happen or what do we expect will happen next? Well, two were two apparently related to this were, and the, the came out of the Chinese press say they've been detained. One was the chairman of what the Tianjin Gas Company. Mm. Um, oh, so I, who, I missed who was that today. Linked but. to this whole, you know, PetroChina, and and then the other was the former, recently, fairly recently, stepped down chairman of the Bank of Chengdu, who, um, because there's been a quite a number of detentions and investigations in Chengdu, which was. Um, sort of involving people who were very close to Zhou Kong, And this person, at least in Chinese media, was linked as someone who had ties to that group as well. Hmm. So it is definitely ongoing. And what's the latest on Joe himself? I mean, does anyone have anything more solid than what the SCMP reported last, I guess, 10 days ago or so? Nothing more solid yet? No, nothing, nothing solid at okay. all. No. Okay. Lots of rumors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but it's, it would be a very significant precedent for him to... Um, come under any real investigation or, or have any real sanctions. Right. When was the last time? It hasn't been since 89 that, that you've seen a standing committee member a for, or a former standing committee member go down. Is that correct? That's right. And and in terms of, not since uh, Zhao Ziyang, and um, and in terms of economic crimes, for corruption, it would be uh, un unprecedented. Even further yeah, back, to yeah. have Certainly to have a trial if they actually went down that road. Nobody higher than Chen Liang you guys has been. And Chen Xi's only on Boishi Lai. Oh, yeah, yeah. And... Um, and then Before. there was the there was the vice chairman of the NPC, right, Chen Chen Kejie, who was actually yeah. executed. Has right, anyone right. ever seen Zhou Yongkong's wife? <laughs> Don't go there. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I guess he's just you know maybe he married the right girl. He he's all right. He's safe. <laughs> My God, what, what a mug on that there. man, though. I mean, does everyone know what he looks he's like? He's a beautiful man. Yeah, really. I think Jeremy, you have a recommendation that that will uh, lead us right to that. And and with that, let's segue into that section. Well, of can, can I ask you to your question? What's what's next? Oh, sure, I mean, sure, sure. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm sorry. So, I think the next is going to be the Boise Live verdict, right? And yeah. sentence, and, and I think that that will then. Um, may open some doors to other things. Well, I would either of you care to venture a prediction? But well, yeah, sure. What I, what I say is this whole sort of rumors is, is you know is you know remember Jamil Anderlini last year he was kind of criticized. He he had an article in the FT saying that Joe Kong had effectively been kneecapped and was no longer had any power. Right. Remember that it was sort of April May time. People frame. thought that was premature. Um, but the reality is, is do they need to actually arrest him or do anything to him? I mean, he, if they take out his network or they make it very clear to any of his sort of more loyal supporters in the system that... You stay away from this man. You, his power is, is destroyed. Because now. the potential downsides of, you know, you just had Boise Lai, you know, another even more senior leader. It's, it's, it's you know, tomorrow is the, what is it, the 42nd anniversary of the uh, Lin Biao's plane crash where he died fleeing after a failed coup. 42 years ago, I think it was, the, the party had better control of the information environment. It was easier to convince people, you know, sort of get the news out and move forward, right? Now, I think it's much harder from a prestige and a credibility perspective to, 
you know, you have Borsi last year, this year it's Jerome Collins. That, that's sort of very hard a, to be a communist these days. It's, right. It causes hard. all sorts of problems yeah. that you don't necessarily need to have because you can effectively dismantle, do what you need to do without without taking about publicly. Is, right. So that would, I would without be showing factional cracks in, hey, in, in it's, the edifice. Hey, anything can so. happen, and there's there are like I said, there are some crazy rumors which I'm not going to repeat because. I agree, but, and in terms of you know, what comes next, I agree absolutely. The next up is is Borchelai's verdict and, and sentencing. But you know, it doesn't. It seems to me to be it would be poor politics to have a sort of perpetual crisis that drifts far into next year and and really sort of comes to characterize the whole of Xi Jinping's first five years in in, in power. But they need to wrap it up neatly now. In in your first year, he said it's going to be a year-long rectification campaign and this is all sort of wrapped up Mm -hmm. with with that uh, sort of uh, image that he's trying to he's trying to project, cleaning up the party, wrapping up the Borsulai scandal. Um, You know, obviously anything can happen. It's always dangerous to make predictions, but I would think that things might start to sort of wind up. He sent the messages that he wants to send. You've got the plenum coming up in November and then starts the, you know, the really difficult business of actually trying to reform the system. Okay. And he's got, you know, it looks like he's, he's consolidated better or faster than people expected reasonable amount of power in the military. And, you know, this, this move against the, you know, the petroleum group and, and the previous standing committee member probably gets him a lot more control in the security services as well. Mm-hmm. So he ends up mm-hmm. potentially at the end of the year as you know one of the most powerful general secretaries Holding in all a very the cards, long time. Right, right, right. right. In terms of the, I mean, the sentencing, I don't know. I think at least twenty years, which they can change anyway, like ten years later if they want, yeah. right? When everyone's forgotten about it. Jeremy, are you dissenting, or are you, do you think twenty years is not unreasonable? You know, based on the based on the the crimes he's been accused of, you know, and uh, discussions with. Uh, with his lawyers and other lawyers, um, you know, they're expecting uh, something that. Is, is, is there anything? Twenty years, probably. Yeah. The London betting shops have anything? I wish this? I would. I, I, I Fifteen to twenty years would basically being sidelined. Well, he'll come out. Until he, he's if he too comes old. out in like eight or nine years, he's what mid early seventies, so his career is effectively is over. over anyway, right? right? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, l- let's wrap this up neatly, just as as Bushy lies. And uh, Julian Kong's affairs should be wrapped up neatly by, by old Mr. Xi. Um, Jeremy, let's move on to the section uh, where we make recommendations. Um, I alluded earlier uh, to, to who one of yours, where you, you have two blue-suited individuals. I, I actually, I've decided to have three recommendations today just because fuck it. And so oh, you number know what, one, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. It, it wasn't even a picture of Zhou Yongkang. I mean, what was it's I not Zhou Yongkang, but it looks, I know why you said that, because it looks uh, similar. It's the State Council Information Office head honcho, Tsai Ming-Jaw, in a Ming blue Zhao, suit. It's Tsai Ming-Jaw, sorry. Yeah. Uh, standing with Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook. And they both look kind of uncomfortable in these tightly buttoned blue suits. And they've both got these rictus smiles on. <laughs> and they've both got their hair slicked back. They both look extremely uncomfortable as though they've just been kind of, they've dipped their hands in like some kind of oleaginous mixture of like baby shit and gutter oil. And then they've shake, shaken hands. What goes on and, in your house um, your newborn? <laughs> <laughs> I've just been thinking about it's Facebook not a business. Anymore, right? I don't have yeah, a newborn. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so the State Council Information Office offered this photograph, uh, apparently without you know Facebook uh, releasing a press release. But it's just a lovely photograph. I think everybody interested in the internet in China should see Sheryl Sandberg uh, with uh, Mr. Tsai. Um, and then I have two other slightly less frivolous recommendations. One is 
vaguely connected to our topic tonight. It's a book by Paul Theroux called Last Train to Zona Verda, in which he, if you don't like Paul Theroux, don't read it. I but don't. if you do uh, like Paul Theroux, it's basically he goes to Africa for the last time as a bitter old man and writes about it. But quite a bit of it takes place in Angola where he's unimpressed Paul with Theroux, Chinese bitter? activities. <laughs> Kaiser, just, you know, fuck off back to sunny California. <laughs> and uh, then my third recommendation is a Reuters story uh, about Sina Weibo censors in some sense center in Tianjin, I think. And although, you know, this may not be the most up-to-date information about the people censoring Weibo, it paints a very lovely picture of these poor kind of dowser loser young dudes in this dead-end job censoring Weibo posts, and it's very cute, and puts a human face on Chinese internet censorship. Who wrote that piece? Do you remember? Um, Do you I'll have a look, because uh, okay. I have my laptop here. Uh, it is uh, Li Hui and Mega Raja Raja Gopalan. Oh wow! Two Does reporters. It, I, don't I don't know, know them. But doesn't Sina have more than a? Um 150 censors. I mean, I think the Tianjin place is only Beifeng one of these, tweeted maybe. to me after I, I I tweeted this article. He said that they you know this is pretty old. They're more than a thousand now. Um, I don't know. Well, Jeremy might know. That's what I understood. No? Okay, let's move to the other Jeremy, and then to what, what do you have? Do you have a recommendation for for us this week? Lord, um, I haven't been able to read much more than um, than transcripts of Borsilai's trial um but uh, would you recommend that uh, well it's still lots of fascinating <laughs> stuff in that um so that's available as a download i'm um, from from cena uh they provided it actually on on i think late on monday or on tuesday i think it was on, on tuesday there are a few versions uh, kicking around yeah right, right. anything just uh, out of curiosity anything that hasn't been broadly reported leap out at you from the transcripts that um you know, there were a few details uh, that that were surprising. Um, you know, I, I've got a link for, for yeah for somebody who's got time to to go through that whole thing. But, um, I, I I want the cliff notes. I don't. I'm not going to bother reading the entire transcript. I can't imagine how hellish your life must be that you have to wade but, through it. But in terms of other, just you know, uh, I, I, I was looking through um, Ezra Vogel's biography of Deng Xiaoping for mm. some of the background on Yuchuli and the, and the, the oil clique and he yeah, has some, uh, some very interesting material in there. Um, his description of Yuchuli uh, who, who lost an arm during the the, the Korean March. Oh, the Korean um, March so yeah. One arm sort of hero of Daqing comes across as quite a Quite a forceful character in the in the early days of, uh, of the Chinese government. Great. So uh, an endorsement for Ezra Vogel's book on Deng, Deng which um, is was actually translated into Chinese and has been right. selling like hotcakes. Uh, and it's it's kind of funny because the the parts that that were uh, apparently censored. Um, I, I remember that I was talking with, with Ezra about this at at AAS, uh, and the funniest thing that he said was that that. The part that he had been asked to change in talking about um, 89, he, he, he had a casualty figure or something like that. And uh, they asked him to, to insert Western experts estimate the, the uh, you know, so that it wasn't some objective number. But the, the effect of it was to actually give it more credibility, which I thought was kind of ironic. Okay, I, I haven't actually read uh, read the Dung biography yet. It's it's definitely on my to do list, but it's it's kind of daunting. It's but big. Yeah, it's really big. It's really big. It's, yeah. Okay, Bill, what do you have for us? Um, to your point about the Jeremy Sandberg, Jerry's point about the Cheryl Sandberg Tammy Jiao uh, meeting, uh, I think it's worth reading 
the earlier this year, the, um, the they set up a new internet regulatory body. Formerly was in the State Council Information Office, and now I think it's an equal bureaucratic rank. It's a yes, State CIO, right? Council Internet Information uh, uh, Office, right. and that right. is headed by a gentleman named Liu Wei. And he was recently in, in London or the United Kingdom at the UK-China Internet Conference. And he gave a speech um, that I think was called Liberty and Order in Cyberspace. Um, and it's a very, very worthwhile read because it really sheds light, I think, on how they view the Internet. And it's actually very interesting to read that speech and then read Hillary Clinton's January 2010 Internet Remarks on Internet Freedom speech. Was and then the, to read some of the disclosures of from Edward Snowden. Bill and was, I think you read Bill, the three Bill, of them, and it's very interesting because because the trend is, you know, we are there are very different views about how the cyberspace should develop. And while I think we in the West assume that maybe what the U.S. wants or Western countries want is where it's going, there is a very significant move, not just China but other countries, for a very different kind of internet. Oh, indeed. Was it, was he the same guy who invited Panchi and some other Davi for yes, dinner he, right before all the nasty stuff? Yeah, that was no, he, so, so there was, him, there was right? at least well, so so there was at least one dinner in April. He was early late April, um, where he had a dinner, sort of a get to know you right after you've been a been um, promoted his news, promoted his job SCIA. to sort of get to know you with the big V's. Um, but the the a take, friendly dinner. one of them I, who attend, I know who attended the dinner was it was very clearly a get to know you, but. This is Get the last us. time we're smiling, <laughs> yes. fuckers. And, and, no, and you saw, I mean, yes. the, big, the big V campaign, which, you know, against sort of control, reigning in the, the big personalities on Weibo, that really started in April. Yeah, yeah. You know, this has been going on for months, and it's an outgrowth of something much broader. The other recommendation I would have, though, is actually for, I guess he's not your former bro- boss, but Andy, Andy Brown has now started a column. It's called, what is it? It's... um. Not China. What is it? It's uh, he's got a weekly column now where he goes around the world looking at China's impact on the world, right? That's right. And yeah. he's had two out. And actually, they're in the journal, in the journal, they're very interesting. What's the name of the column? Is that? It's it's. Um, we'll find out. And we'll put it. Yes, we'll make sure to link, link to it. So. <laughs> Jeremy's not trying to it. No, I mean Andy Brown's been in China for a long time. It's a very it's a very interesting perspective. It's a it's a it's an interesting column. Well, great. Um, uh, I guess. I wanted to point out that Timing Zhao, who you were talking about, Jeremy, uh, he's going to be speaking in early November, I believe it is, at Stanford University. I think it's on the 6th. He's he's going to be at Stanford at, at the East-West Institute's uh, Cyber Summit. You can find out more information about that at cybersummit.info. Are you speaking there, too? I am not, no. Or I, I don't know that I am. But yet. so the global elites conspire to... Doing the lumpen proletariat, I see no, you're a part of it, Kaiser. I am. I'm anyway, commission cardinal. Hello, you sold to the FT. Well, that's sort of the epitome <laughs> of the global elites. <laughs> L- let, me, let, <laughs> <laughs> let me make my recommendation here, which is completely in earnest here. Um, which is, you know, one of my favorite things about the new China file, um, oh, which is a fabulous site, of course. One of my favorite things is these dialogues that they have, where they'll, they'll throw out a question and get a bunch of experts to weigh in on it. Um, this is something that we've actually talked about on Seneca before, uh, you know, exploring parallels between uh, the, the, the last decade and the last decade of the Qing dynasty. Um, so the to reform or not to reform echoes of the late Qing dynasty uh, features Orville Schell, of course, who's in, in charge of the whole damn thing. Uh, John DeLury, uh, who, of course, Orville just co-authored that great book on uh, wealth and power. 
with uh, Jeff Wasserstrom, who's been on the sh- our show before, Peter Perdue, Joseph Escherich, very uh, eminent China scholar, uh, Robert Cap, Bob Cap, who's um, one of my, uh, I, I really enjoy reading in that secret place where I read him. And, of course, our, our dearly departed Mary Kay Magistad, who just waited last on it. It's a really good discussion. It's, it's, it's very enlightening. Um, and uh, yeah, check it out. I mean, I think every time I've, I've been asked um, to, to, to join in, I have never been able to, to do it and, you know, likely keep my job. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I've been able yeah. to just, just spectate from the sidelines. But it, the, those are always my favorite thing to read on China File. Uh, with that, I want to bid a fond farewell to you, all of you, and we'll see you next week. Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Page, thank you for coming on. It was good to have you. Huh? And Bill, you know, don't be a goddamn stranger, man. Just you know, get, get, look, I haven't well, heard you. Well, now that once. you know, now that we're in the new pop-up studios, which is you know, the man, my the favorite mansions. temple in Beijing, yeah. and and you know, looks like the cat know, is not the... allowed in the studio now, so there's no cat, and I have not had any cat allergies. Was it sent to Guangdong? No. <laughs> okay. Anyway, guys, uh, Jeremy. We'll see you next week. Uh, what are we going to do next week? Are we going to do the Big V campaign? I think we have to look at the Big V campaign. Yeah, let's, let's do the Big V campaign. Anyway, we'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>